Well, good morning, Journey. Good to be with you again. That was fun. That was super fun. I was trying to keep it a secret all week long. Hey, we're in a series called Spent, and we want to engage with you in this holiday season knowing that from now until Christmas feels like a sprint. And we don't want you to get to the end of this year and think, I am just spent. I don't have anything left in the tank. I'm on empty. We don't want you to get to the end and feel that way. What we want you to feel is we want you to feel at the end of this season like you're full because you have spent your season well. And so this morning we're going to continue this series. We'll be in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10 verses 30 through 37 in a sermon I've titled, Give a Little More. Last week was give a little, this week is give a little more. Before we get into the text, I want to give you a backdrop for this story. So Jesus, who is the central character in this story, but as well the central character in a well-spent Christmas. If you're focused on Jesus, I think you're spending your Christmas season a little more well. Jesus has this conversation with a religious leader. And the religious leader says to him, hey, Jesus, we've got a whole bunch of commands, over 600 of them. Which one is the greatest? Which one is the most important? And so Jesus says, hey, listen, I can sum it all up for you in two commands, actually. And they are this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all 600 plus laws, they lean into these two big ideas, love God and love your neighbor. And so the religious leader, he says, oh, that's nice, Jesus, that's helpful, but hey, can I ask a follow-up question? Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus says, well, it's a great question. Let me tell you a story. Luke 10. I'm going to start at 30. We'll focus in on 33 through 35. Jesus replied to him with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to show us what more you want to do 
through us by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to talk about another unexpected hero. If you were here with us last week or you joined us online last week, we talked about a little boy, a little unnamed boy, this unexpected hero. And in this story, we have another unexpected hero. An unexpected hero who didn't just give a little. What he gave was a little more. And the unexpected hero is the Good Samaritan. Tell me if you've, raise your hand if you have already heard this story before once. Okay, awesome. So you're familiar with Sam. We're going to call him Sam for the day, right? So Sam is our unexpected hero. Another hand-raising question. How many of you have seen Frozen 2 already? Okay, yeah, okay. There's my parents and some of you who I'm not sure why you were there. Um, (laughs) So yesterday, we went to uh, Frozen 2, and now I've got a whole new set of songs that I have to listen to every day, forever. Um, Thank you, Disney. Uh, But as we were walking into the theater, there's another movie that's showing, uh, a movie about a man named Fred Rogers. The movie called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, Tom Hanks plays Fred Rogers in this, and, and he portrays the man who was what I would call one of the best neighbors ever. And this is exactly what Sam was. Sam was the best neighbor ever. And this is what I'm asking us to consider this morning. Would you think about being the best neighbor ever? 2020 is going to be awesome, isn't it? 2020 is going to be amazing, filled with loving content on social media between Democrats and Republicans, (laughs) graceful conversation, It's going to be amazing. I'm going to defriend some of you. Just fair warning, okay? (laughs) I always get a little edgy around the big, big elections, presidential election in particular. And and I I don't think it's far-fetched to say this one is probably going to be everything we expect it to be or don't expect it to be or are scared that it's going to be. Um, It's not exactly a united time for our country and for our communities. What if instead of caring so much about that, you were the best neighbor ever this year? Can, Can I say this? If you were the best neighbor your neighbor ever had in 2020, guess what? It wouldn't matter who the president is. It wouldn't. If every single Christian in this country said, I'm actually going to act like a Christian, I'm actually going to act like a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to be the best neighbor that my neighbor has ever had, all of that political stuff wouldn't matter that much. It just wouldn't. We could change the world one home at a time. And this is what Sam teaches us. He teaches us how to be the best neighbor ever. And so what does it take for us to be the best neighbor ever? That's what I want to lean into this morning. What does that actually take for you and I to go out and be the best neighbor ever? Well, I want to start by telling you what it doesn't mean, okay? 
What it doesn't mean is this, and we can learn this from Sam. It doesn't take the right type of person to be the best neighbor ever. If you're here sitting here or, or you're online and you're watching this and you're thinking, I'm not churchy enough. I'm not the right type of person. You are in such good company. Sam wasn't either. Sam was a despised Samaritan. He was the enemy. He was the wrong type of guy to be the best neighbor ever. So if you're sitting here thinking you're the right type of person, well, Jesus would have something to say to you about pride, okay? That's a whole nother sermon, and it's a little harder than this one. But if you're sitting here thinking I'm the wrong type of person, guess what? That does not disqualify you from being the best neighbor ever. In fact, that probably makes you more qualified to be the best neighbor ever. What else doesn't it take? It doesn't take being in a position of power. Since we're familiar with this story, you understand that there's two religious leaders who are political people in power. In that day and age, there was not separation of church and state. And so because of that, those who were religious figures had lots and lots of power. And the people with power in this story, they simply walked past the situation. They weren't the best neighbor ever. They just went past the problem. They said, oh, that's his deal. That's his issue. He probably, he probably deserved it. He probably did something to earn that. But instead, um, they, they, they could have used their position of power to help him. But instead, the guy without the position of power is the one that helps. And so I think we do this too many times. I think we say, hey, I'm not in much of a position of power. This is back to that political conversation. I think we undermine our own power and God's power within us to change the world. I really do. I think we do this all the time. I think we think if we elect the right people that they're gonna figure it out for us. Guess what? They're not gonna figure it out for you. Like, like how many of you, honestly, the president figured out your problems for you, right? Like, Nobody, right? So, so listen, you don't need to be in a powerful position. You don't need to be in a prestigious position. That's not what it takes to be the best neighbor ever. It doesn't take great abilities. This guy isn't super talented. He's not super wealthy. He's just Sam. That's, that's who he is. He's just He's just Sam. So growing up, Brian was a popular name, okay? Like, okay, how many Brian's in the room? Raise your hand, raise them up. We got, okay, cool, we got a few, all right. Like, so in, in my class in high school, our class was only about 25, 30 people. There was five of us that were Brian's, right? There was, there was Weepert, and there was Sadler, and there was Van Epps, and there, like there was, and so there was five of us, okay, five of us that were Brian's in the class, and I always kept thinking, like, oh, I'm just Brian, like I'm just Brian, everybody's Brian, uh, like, you, like you need, <laughs> apparently you need to be named Brian to be a pastor in Bozeman. That's what I hear, right? Like, so I mean, I'm just Brian. Like my superpower is that I don't have a superpower. That's my superpower, right? And, and so you might be thinking that, right? Bob, Bob and I were talking about this this morning. He's like, well, I'm just Bob. <laughs> I'm like, I know. They got Bob and they got Brian. Like how boring is this church, okay? 
so maybe you're sitting there going, I'm just, I'm just Jill. I'm just Sarah. I'm just Megan. I'm just Jack. I'm just John. I'm just, my superpower is that I don't have a superpower. Well, then you're in good company because it doesn't take any of those things for you to be the best neighbor ever. Sam didn't have any of those things either, but what Sam had was a value, a deep-seated value that we see in the love that he puts into action. And it's a value that we need to think about this morning. And the value is this. The value that fits the story is this. Uncommon generosity. What does it take to be the best neighbor ever? It takes giving a little more. It takes uncommon generosity. I think uncommon generosity is simply the ability to give a little more. Sam doesn't have title, power, prestige, or great talent, but he does have the ability to give a little more. Notice all that Sam does. I think we focus a lot on this story and we say, oh, yep, Sam the Samaritan, he does this. But I don't think we focus in on the details. Here's the details of this. Think about the time consumption and the, what it takes for him to do what he did. So he comes upon this man, broken down, hurt, beat up in the street. He comes... And he puts him on his own donkey, right? Well, we might not be thinking about this, but Sam probably had stuff on his own donkey as well. He probably had other stuff on his donkey that his donkey was carrying, or maybe he was sitting on his donkey. Regardless, Sam had to give up his position and probably have to pick up a bunch of stuff that the donkey was carrying to put the man onto his donkey. He's gone already. A little more, right? He's given a little more. Not only does he do that, he takes him now to an inn, and notice he doesn't just say to the innkeeper, hey, hey, here's five bucks, take, take, take care of him. He doesn't say that. What it actually says is that he stays with him and bandages his wounds and puts olive oil on him to soothe him, right? Olive oil in that day and age was like gold. It was expensive, and so it's costly, And so he spends the time to heal this guy's wounds. Then he says to the innkeeper, hey, I got some other things to attend to. I think he's going to be okay, um, but I'm going to come back, check in on him, and then I'm going to give you some more money. We'll settle up the account at the end. If you need to take care of him anymore, just take care of this guy, who is not his friend, right? Who he doesn't even know, who he just met in the street. He gives a little more. And that takes a deep value in your life. We call that value here at Journey uncommon generosity. If you go onto our website uh, and you look up our values, one of the values that we hold as a church family is that we practice uncommon generosity. We don't just do what everybody else does. We don't just do the common thing. We do the uncommon thing. So if you, if you go and you check that on the website, here's what you'll hear. This is a value here at Journey, and so because of that, we make room in our lives for sacrifice. We realize that God provides in abundance. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We manage well all God has entrusted to us. We live lives of financial gratitude, and we run lean so we can go far. This is a value for us. It's something that is important to us as a church. 
And sometimes people say, oh, that's a value to me. I have it up on my wall or it's up on my website. But I want to take a few minutes to dive into actually how we do this as a church because I'm still sort of the new guy around here. I'm 90 days in. This is like my three month, right? We're going to have a review later today, right? I hope it goes good. Happy birthday, by the way. Okay, I got you a cake. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> um, so how does this work itself out? It's one of the questions that I'm wondering as the new guy on the block. Like, hey, how does this actually work itself out? And what I've learned is a lot of cool stuff that you may or may not know. And I want to I talk about our property just for a minute, which I know you might like, oh, I'm about to tune out. No, don't tune out. Turn in, okay? So when this building was being built, there was a vision for uncommon generosity. Look, look at the floor. Look, go ahead and look at the floor. That's not a church floor. <laughs> it's not. We didn't fight over red carpet, okay? I know you, one of you grew up in that church, but like we, we have a basketball court underneath you, right? There's a basketball court underneath you, and we ask you to what after the 11 o'clock service? Oh, you don't know, because you're 9 o'clockers. After the 11 o'clock service, we ask everybody to stack the chairs in stacks of eight and then wheel them off to the side because we got other stuff to accomplish during the week, and other people need to use this Space. Other churches have these things called pews, <laughs> which help you focus on the sermon. And that's about all they do, okay? So, right? And, and they're not usually movable because the space isn't thought about as a space that can be used for other people. It's a space that is set aside for worship, which isn't bad, by the way. It's not bad. I'm not, I'm not banging on all those churches. I'm really not. But here's the deal. That's what's common. That's what churches do. I, I got no problem with that. What we value here is uncommon generosity. Have you ever had a hard time explaining where you go to church? You're like, hey, where do you go to church? You're like, oh, I go to Journey Church. And they're like, oh, where's that? And you're like, oh, it's at the Commons. And they're like, well, that's confusing. Why is it at the Commons? Isn't it at Journey Church? It doesn't even have a cross on it. Like, what? And you're like, no, it's called the Commons. And you get in this weird conversation about the Commons. Well, the name itself... Why we didn't name this Journey Church is because we want it to be a community center. We want it to be a common area for people to use. So I don't know if you know Kevin, but Kevin's back there and he, um, he runs this facility, the Commons. And he also helps out with sound. He's a phenomenal sound engineer. Uh, he helps out as a volunteer on the weekends. But then throughout the week, what he does is he sets up incredible gatherings here in this room, uh, probably close to a hundred gatherings, large group gatherings besides Sunday worship that gather in the commons. I, I, how many of you have been to a fundraiser in this room? Raise your hand. Look at, look around the room. There's a lot of us, right? Hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars have been raised for other organizations other than the church in the commons, which I would say we should rename the commons. We should name it the uncommon. That's what we should do, okay? So I might get a big marker and go out there, okay? I'm just saying, all right? We should call it the uncommon because this comes out of a value that we hold. We're thinking about this when it comes to the property, right? So we've got the YMCA right over here, right? The YMCA was looking for a home. They were looking for a place to build. And we said, hey, we, ha we have some land, we have 40 acres. We would love to be a place for families and people to, 
to gather and to um, get healthy together, maybe a little more spiritually healthy here and a little more healthy over there, right? So, um, so what we said to them was, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna lease the land to you for a pretty insignificant amount. In fact, the amount is one of these and it's the smaller one. You could have afforded the lease, okay? Right? For one dollar. We lease the land to them for one dollar. I know somebody in here is like, that is not fiscally responsible. <laughs> it's not. But it is uncommon generosity. See, this is how we think. And the question is, is this a value in your life? Do you go above and beyond? Do you ask, how can I give a little more? Let me, let me give you one thing to think about today, especially for my online folks, especially if you're at home. This is a cool one for you could talk about it right now. How do you view your home? Here's the common thought about your house, right? It's a place for us to live. It's a place for uh, us to come home to. Occasionally, we have some family gatherings. We eat together occasionally. We get a good night's sleep. We have friends over sometimes. Like, that's the common thought about a house, right? Which isn't a bad thought. It's just a common thought. What if you thought of your house as a ministry tool? What if you thought of your home as a place where the kingdom comes and the will of God is done on heaven like it is on earth. Like, what, what if that was the verbiage you were thinking? What if you thought, how can I use my home to provide value and safety, and security for other people? How can I make this a sanctuary where people are loved, embraced, and cared for? How can I do a little more with my home. Lori and I try to do this, and guess what? It costs us. It does. Like, it costs us in food. Like, when we buy food for people, it costs us something. Like, we, when we have people over, we feed them, we have good drinks, we have a good time. It costs us our time, it costs us money, it costs us energy. We have to set up and clean up, right? Just this past week, we had several gatherings at our house. One of the things that we try to do uh, most Sunday afternoon and evenings is either go to one of your houses like Jesus did. You're going to talk about Zacchaeus next week. I'm going to invite myself over to your house today. Uh, or, or I invite you over to my house today, Right? Because we see our home as a kingdom tool. We see it as a place where we can practice uncommon generosity. We got a couple MSU students that we know and love, and we, we love to just say, hey, come on over, have a meal. Hey, come on over, do your wash. Come on over, just, just if you need to get off campus, do that. What if you thought of your home as something more? I want to give you a second picture of this. A simple generosity illustration, and it's the giving cake. So I had to do something creative with the cake, and so here you go. This might work, it may not. I may have just made it work. Okay, so Bob's birthday cake. Who likes cake? I love cake. You can tell, right? All right, okay. Had some pie this week, had some cake this week, had some turkey, really good, right? Inside the cake is, is cake, right? 
you make cake with a mixture and, and then you bake it and it comes out and if you ever made a cake, it's just cake. Like it's just that cake mixture, okay? And your cake is like last week. It's like giving a little. It's like how do you give a principle, a foundation, how do you take a little step in terms of generosity? And so you got cake in the middle there. You're like, oh, we're growing in our generosity. We had this conversation last week. We're gonna give 5% to the church this week and 5% to this charity next, you know, this, this upcoming year. It's gonna be really great. That's your foundation. But listen, cake isn't cake unless it has what on it? That's right, my people, right? Frosting. Who likes the corner piece? Yes, my people, right? Because you get more frosting. What I'm talking to you about this morning is about the frosting. Cake is great by itself, but cake is better with frosting. And your generosity will be sweeter if you give a little more. I've never, ever given a little more and wished I hadn't. But there's lots of times when I didn't give enough and I regretted it. And I wish that I had given a little bit more. So what does it look like for you to give a little more? What does it look like for you to be an over-the-top giver, someone who gives the sweetest of things. Last week was our first step in generosity, give a little. This week is our second step in generosity, give a little more. This is what I want to encourage you to think about and consider. Give a little more. Let me give you some tangible thoughts around this. This was highlighted in the video, but we do six gatherings here on Christmas. So just to avoid confusion and make it really, really clear, okay, so six gatherings, two on Sunday, one on Monday evening, and three on Tuesday on Christmas Eve itself. And because we have six gatherings, we need a little more help. And so if you go out these doors right here, there's a table right there. It looks all Christmassy. And you can sign up to help with all the things that need to be helped out with here. And so what we're asking you really simply is to go to one and to serve at one. So to go at one is the common thing to do, okay? That's, that's what everybody does. Go to one. Serve at one is the frosting, okay? It's giving a little more. So what I want you to do is just swamp them after this. Like they, I want them to be like, oh, we don't need any more help, okay? So go out there and say to them, I want to give a little more. I want to go to one. I want to serve one. For some of you, um, it's year-end giving. You're getting to the end of the year, and some of you are looking at your accounts and your business accounts and your house accounts, and you're going, we did pretty good this year. Like 2019 was pretty good. One of the things that we often do is we send out a letter. We didn't do it this year because we knew we were going to do a series on giving in, in the end of this year. Um, but what I'd encourage you to consider from, from time to time and even this year is year-end giving. Some of you might go, we did really well this year. We've got some money to give away. We want to give it away to some charities. We'd like to give it away to the church. That's over-the-top Giving, right? You've been generous all year long, but maybe God is prompting you to give a little more. Give a little more. Advent conspiracy. 
in the back of your chair in front of you. You can grab that envelope. You can put some money in there and it'll go straight to Advent Conspiracy. There's also a Christmas tree out those doors, okay? And you can grab an ornament off of that tree to remind you of all the things that we are connected with and partnered with so that we can give a little more. I said this last week. Most churches don't do this. The common thing to do is you get to the end of the year, you get to Christmas, you got a lot of people, they bring a lot of money, and that catches your budget up, okay? We're actually doing really good on budget, so that's awesome. Yay, God, right? And yay for your generosity, okay? But, um, but we are saying, and we've done this even in years where it wasn't good, uh, we're gonna be in this conspiracy to give away a whole pile of our Advent giving. And so you might say to yourself, yep, I've given to the church, but man, I want to give a little more. You grab one of those envelopes, you grab, uh, one of, grab something off the Christmas tree, and you give a little more. Maybe it's an extraordinary gift. Um, so I think, I think we had three of these last year, uh, three gifts that were above and beyond. They were just these one-time gifts that were a, a big deal and, and allowed us to do a ton for the kingdom. Um, maybe God stirs within you and says, hey, I know you're giving on this regular basis, but, but, but I've got something more for you to give. And there's this extraordinary moment in your life of generosity that just grows out uh, of the generous heart that you have. What does give a little more look like for you? I want to give you a moment. Um, to think about my give a little more next step because I don't want this to just be words or thoughts. I want this to be impactful in your life. How can you be the best neighbor ever? How can you practice uncommon generosity? How can you give just a little more? And as you think about that, I want to I tell you one last story. So last night I came in here. I was having a pretty hectic week. Uh, you could be praying, my dad got in a sledding accident, busted ribs, collapsed lung, spleens, he had to get it taken out. So it was like a weird, I was like, sledding, really? Like not even on the room room, the brat braps. He was like, just a sled, okay. So love you, dad. I hope you're doing good in the hospital, okay. Um, anyway, I'm going out to see him this week, and, and it was just a kind of a hectic week. So I came in here last night, I was like, I need to work on the sermon, get my head straight. Think about what's happening tomorrow. So it was just working on things and taking notes and praying. And, and Trent came in. I'd never met Trent before. Um, Trent came walking in and I said, hey, what's going on? And we introduced ourselves and I said, what are you, what are you here for? And he's like, oh, I'm just I'm getting some food for Family Promise. I don't know if you're here. Trent, are you here at the nine o'clock? No, you're not here? Okay, you're probably gonna be at the 11. I just wanna say this, Trent, God is smiling on you. Like there's a whole bunch of other things Trent could have done last night. That he could have been out with his family cutting down a Christmas tree and celebrating at the house. He could have been out for dinner somewhere, enjoying a nice time where somebody else makes food for him. They could have been watching football. There's a whole bunch of things Trent could have been doing, but Trent and his family were here serving. They're here making dinner for a family who doesn't have a home. 
And because of that, all of heaven was rejoicing. And as Trent walked out, I I got like tears in my eyes and I realized like, Trent is the sermon he's doing a little bit more. What is God calling you to give? How is he impressing upon your heart to give a little more? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who gives. And because of that, we can respond to you with generosity. And not just common generosity, but uncommon generosity. Thanks that we can do that because you modeled it for us. That you gave us unmerited, undeserved favor. You gave us grace. While we were lost, while we were far from you, God, you found us. You chased us down at whatever cost. And so because of that, God, we respond to you because you gave it all. Help us to give a little more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.